What we've been doing, what we started last week, is, is a series called The Whole Story. And in it, we want to walk you guys through the entire Bible in a semester. And we just kind of want to show you how the whole thing fits together. And last week, we started with creation and how at the very beginning, God is this perfect harmony. And He creates us to join Him in this perfect harmony. And so last week, we learned a lot about God. And this week, we're going to learn a little bit more about Adam. And a lot more about you, okay? So open your Bibles, or swipe, if you're super hip, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Literally the easiest chapter to find in the whole thing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. And again, this is kind of the second part of what we're calling the whole story. And, and high schoolers kind of be on the lookout for students who may not know where they're going or what they're looking for, um, and just kind of be leaders with that. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, here it is again, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Imagine you are making, you are manufacturing, you are building a basketball, right? You're creating a basketball. You're making a basketball. And you have to, so you have to keep a lot of different things in mind. You have to think about the amount of rubber that you're going to use to make it. If there's too much rubber, the ball will be too heavy and it won't bounce. You have to think about the amount of air that you're pumping into the ball. If there's too much air, the ball's going to go too high and you can't use it. If there's not enough air, the ball's going to flatten out and it'll be useless. But you also have to think about the amount of extra rubber, because all, little knowledge here, all basketballs have these little dots, almost like braille, on them to help with grip. But you've also got the rubber that goes into the seams and the rubber that goes into the letters, the spalding or whatever it says on the front. If you put too much on there, the ball's going to get stuck every time it goes through the net. So you, you measure it out. You're thinking, I can't wait to build this so that I can go outside and play with this, so that I can go outside and use this. I can't wait to do this, right? And so you build this basketball. You create this basketball, and you finally are finished with it. And you pick it up, and you hold this ball in your hand for the first time. It's ready to go. And instead of going outside to play with it, you stick it in the fridge. It's weird, right? doesn't make a lot of sense. You kind of, I was there, Ryan. I'm, I'm not a huge basketball guy. And then the, the fridge comes in, and I don't understand why you put that in there. Something is obviously not right with putting a basketball in the fridge, correct? Makes everybody with me, right? Um, this is a problem, now just hang with me, this is a problem because when you make something, you're supposed to use it for what it's made for. You make a picture frame, and you immediately, what do you do? You put the picture in it, and you hang it up, or you set it on your shelf or on the table. You buy a book, and you go home, and you open it, and you read it. You get a new TV, and you plug it in and turn it on. You get your first car, and you take it for a drive. You get a new video game, and you run to your room to play it. When you make something, the first thing you do with it is show, nice, is show what it's made for. 
When you make something, the first thing you do with it is show what it's made for. So let me ask you this then. What's the first thing that God does with Adam? What was Adam made for? Because the first thing that God does with Adam, that shows us what Adam is made for. And this is the exact same thing that you were made for. Flip over to Genesis chapter 2. Last week we spent the bulk of our time in Genesis 1. Tonight we're going to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 verse 7. Genesis 2 verse 7. We're going to skip around just a little bit. Genesis 2 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Go down to verse 15. So God has made Adam. Now God's going to show what Adam is for. What is Adam's purpose? Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Remember, like we talked about last week, God made Adam to join. God is this perfect harmony of the Trinity. And God made Adam to join in this perfect harmony, to join the perfect dance of worship and enjoying God. But how does that work? Like it sounds cool and there's flowers and it's pretty, but how does that work? How do you do that? How do you join this perfect harmony? One of the ways Adam joined the dance One of the ways Adam worshipped God was through his work in Eden. His work in the place God put him. You see, work was originally God's idea. Sin has not happened yet. And I think a lot of times we're taught that Adam was made to work, and that's the punishment for the sin. And that's not how it went. Sin has not happened yet. Work is not a punishment from God. Work was originally a gift from God. It was a way to worship Him. Uh, My dad is a basketball coach. He's a high school ball coach. And from all the time growing up, from the months of like October through February, the living room was like, it's not off limits, but it was off limits. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like you really didn't go in there because that was the film room. Like that was where my dad watched all his game film and like there's like scouting reports on both of the couches that he's got in there and like all this other stuff. Like his bookshelves are full of two things, books on theology and books on basketball. Like that's the whole thing. His job has kind of taken over his life. And you'll see this as you get older. You when you get older, you and your job are one when you have found a job that you love, okay? You and your job are one when you have found a job that you, a passion is another way to say that. When you find your passion, you really do see it as a gift. You won't see it as a job. You'll see it as a gift. Um, But out of all the jobs that Adam had, of all the, I mean, he's God. He could literally have given Adam any job ever in history, ever. And he makes Adam a gardener. Why? No disrespect, right? But, but why a gardener? It's not as random as you think. And two reasons why. Number one, think about this. There is only Eden at this point. Okay? It's just the Garden of Eden. That's all there is. So Adam's job as watcher over Eden is the most important job literally in the entire planet at that time. 
That's the most important job in creation at the time. It wasn't casual gardening. He was the steward and keeper of God's kingdom, charged with cultivating it. What does that mean? Keeping it, helping it grow, bringing new life to it, bringing life to the place that God put him. Does that make sense? Bringing life in the area where God put him. And it's not a coincidence that Adam is the example for every human being today and he was put to work in the garden because Adam working in the garden is an example of every single job today. Every single one of them. It's a symbol for every job. Because think about it like this. In the garden, Adam did exactly what you'd think. He took the soil, he took his hands, he took the seed from the other fruits and plants, and he made more. And he put these plants here, and these plants here, and these plants go over here. And he made sure to harvest the plants at the right time so that more could grow in their place. In short, through gardening, Adam took the materials of life around him, and he used them to create even more life. He took the materials around him, and he used them to create life. And this is exactly what every job is today. Think about it. A musician, for example, takes the raw materials around them, takes sound, and uses it to create music. Takes the sounds of life and creates and orders them to make more life. To bring people together, to enliven their hearts. Concerts are awesome, right? The musician creates more life with the stuff around him. It's exactly what Adam did. A teacher takes facts and information, raw materials, and orders them in a way that helps your mind and heart grow. They took the materials around them and they used them to grow you. They took the materials around them and created life, which is exactly what Adam did. A factory worker is an easy one. They literally take the materials, and create tools and items that help other people. They've taken what they were given, and they've cultivated it to create more life. Last one, a pharmacist takes raw materials from the earth and orders them in such a way that the proper amount of each will help someone live and flourish through medicine. They have created more life with the materials around them. It's Eden Every time, it's Adam in Eden every time, taking what's around, being placed in a position, taking the things around him, and using those things to create more life. The list goes on and on. And this is the cool thing. The whole world and the way it works with jobs and how society exists, it all comes from taking the materials around you and using them to grow your culture. You're cultivating it, which is exactly what Adam did when he was in the garden. Every culture, every walk of life, white collar, blue collar, Middle East, Africa, Asia, America, all people do this when they work. Everybody does this in some form or fashion when they work. So how can a man from Africa and a man from Oregon have the same kind of blueprint of how work is done? They've never met. Their cultures are totally different. And yet when they work... The method is the same. Because the blueprint for work wasn't designed by one particular culture. The blueprint for work was designed before culture. 
by God here with Adam, the father of all culture in the garden. All cultures got their idea for work from the same father and from the same God. And what a tragedy it is that they don't all worship the same God. You see, that's why God gets glory even from atheists. Even from people who have no desire to believe in God, He still gets glory from them because every day they get up and they go to work and they're doing exactly the pattern that He designed. They're giving glory to this God and they don't even know He exists. Now, Ryan, I don't have a job. I know, I got it, thank you. Here's what this has to do with you, whether you're employed or unemployed. Adam doesn't, and follow this because it's so awesome, Adam doesn't just work in the garden because God made him do something, okay? There's a deeper thing that God our Father is showing us here. Look at it like this. God brings order and life to the world. Adam brings order and life to the garden because, not because... You know, like when your parents are like, you just need to go do something. Like, just get up and go do something, right? That's not what God is doing with Adam. Adam brings life and order to the garden because Adam was made in God's image. Being made in his image means Adam was made to represent and reflect God's character. That's what it means to be made in the image of something. To represent and reflect the one who made you. God put Adam in the garden to bring life and to protect it. God put Adam in the garden to show the world, that's what I'm like. Watch him. Watch him bring order and create life and protect life in the garden because that's what I'm like. He's made in my image so he does what I do. He's reflecting me. He's representing me. And we are all related to Adam. We all find our origin in Adam. And if Adam is meant to bring order and life, so are you. Because you are made in God's image just like Adam. We were made to bring order and life to our own Edens. What are our Edens? Two examples. There's dozens, but two big ones that I think are important. Number one, one of your biggest Edens, if not your biggest Eden, that you've been placed in is your family. You, now remember what Adam did in the garden. You were designed to bring order and life to your Eden. Order and life to your family. That's why when you do something sinful in your family, to your parents or to your siblings, even though you won't apologize for it because it's too weird, or you won't admit that you were wrong, it starts to eat at you. Your family is one of your Edens that God has placed you in, just like he placed Adam in the garden. And instead of helping it, you're putting it in danger when you misbehave. That's part of why you might be miserable a little bit. That's why you vent to yourself on the drive home, because you're doing exactly what Adam did. You're failing in your Eden. But you're not just failing Because remember, you're made in the image of God. And when we create chaos, when we fail in our Eden, we're no longer in the image of God. We're changing into something else. Another Eden is dating. And everybody's like, another Eden is dating. God gave us 
rules. God gave us boundaries. And we'll talk about that next week. So bring a friend. But those boundaries aren't just rules. They're a part of His order. They're a part of His image. They're part of being in His image. And you got to see this. you got to see that it's not just about obeying the rules. It's about being in His image. That's why when you see a lot of couples cross lines, chaos begins to just break into their relationship. Because they're shattering God's image in their heart. And they're becoming something else. Guys, anytime you, you cross a line, or anytime you're single or dating, and you watch pornography, or you see these things, you are not becoming the man you were made. You were made in His image. You're becoming a machine. You're becoming like a monster that only sees girls as a key to your good time. God's order is part... Follow here with the hands. God's order is part of God's image. So every time we disobey Him, we begin to look less like Him. Does that make sense? God's order is part of His image. They're intertwined. You can't affect one without the other. So anytime we break that order, we shatter a piece of that image. And when you cross lines, you begin to bring chaos into your Eden. God is over all things. And so if you cross... Well, let me back up. God is over all things, which means the relationships that you're in or not in is is part of His design. You're placed in that Eden, even if only for a time. You're placed in that Eden, just like Adam was. And you can either bring chaos to it, or you can shatter it. You can either bring order to it, or chaos to it. Ladies, you are taking the crown that you were given at creation as a princess, and you are throwing it away. Living outside of obedience to God brings chaos inside your life. You destroy the garden you were placed in, and you are changing out of His image. When you obey God's law, it's not just a nice thing. You get another Awana check. It's not just like a nice thing to obey God's law. When you obey God, you start to line back up with His image. You start looking like you did in Eden. Do you ever wonder, like I, you hear this a lot, like you wonder what it was like in Eden. What would I have been like in Eden? You get to see that today. You get to see that when you follow Him in obedience. That's exactly what you would have looked like in Eden. That's what your heart would have looked like. You get a taste of that today. Remember, through faith in Christ, Eden comes back to earth. So when you break a boundary in dating, when you treat your parents with a pattern of disrespect or secrecy, when you cheat on something or look at something horrible online, you're not just breaking a rule. You're trying to live in a way that you weren't designed to live. That's the root of your misery. Imagine like imagine a fish with gills trying to live outside of water. Not only will it not work, but you're going to make yourself suffer. Depression, anger, lust, insecurity, none of these were in Eden. 
But since we're not in Eden anymore, those things can creep into our hearts. Fellows, you were a prince of creation. Ladies, you were a princess made in the image of God, and you've changed yourself through being outside of Eden and through your own decisions that you make. And you can't change back on your own. But that's the good news of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is, now listen to this part. The good news of Jesus Christ is that Christ picks up your crown that you throw away. And when she goes too far, even when she goes so far that she doesn't think there's a way back again, instead of letting her figure it out on her own, he goes after her. Because he wants to bring her home. He doesn't just angrily kind of cross the arms and and let her do this. He runs after her. Listen to Luke 15, verses 4 and 6. Jesus said, Suppose that one of you had a hundred sheep and you lost one of them. Doesn't the shepherd leave the ninety-nine that are together in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Not until she sins again. Not until she does it again and then he gives up. He goes until she is found. The woman in adultery was caught in adultery. She hadn't like repented. She hadn't warmed up to Christianity. Jesus rescued her on the spot. The woman at the well was in the middle of of her sixth affair. And he saves her out of it. Don't think that you've gone too far. Check out the story of Hosea at some point. We will go through that in the whole story. But he goes after her. And fellas, he sees you turning into the monster. But instead of leaving you out there to leave you ugly and misshapen by lust, he breaks into your life and he starts peeling the scales off of you. There's a great series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, and in the fifth one, there's a book called, it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's one of the better ones. Um, and in it, there's this guy named Eustace, who not only has a terrible name, but is also a terrible person. Okay? And Eustace is very selfish and arrogant, and he thinks the world was made for him. Thankfully, none of you are like that, right? And he thinks, he, that's what he thinks. And it gets him into this huge trouble because he finds all this treasure in the story, right? He finds all this treasure, and the treasure actually belongs to this dragon who has died, right? This ugly, terrifying dragon that has died, and Eustace steals it for himself. And so he takes it, and he hides, and he falls asleep. And while he falls asleep overnight, he actually, the curse is that he turns into this dragon, this ugly, misshapen, monstrous creature. And he starts panicking, and he starts freaking out, and he wants things to go back to the way they used to be. And so he begins to try to scratch the scales off himself, and off himself, and it's not working until Aslan, the lion, the character that's meant to represent Jesus, comes to Eustace and he says, the only way you can go back is if you will scratch the scales off. And Eustace is trying to show him, I'm trying and it's not working. And Aslan says, you have to let me do it. And so Eustace lets him, and Aslan begins to dig deep into his dragon skin, his monster skin that has grown over time. And so Eustace finally begins to see Aslan peel back 
these layers of skin and throw them on the ground. And over time, Eustace becomes more and more of a human again. That is exactly what happens to you when Jesus comes into your life. Does this not sound like your life trying to peel the layers back and they just keep growing back? You finally, fellows, you finally are able to kind of shelve lust for a day and you feel so good about getting rid of lust that you start to, how come so-and-so can't just deal with it the way I'm dealing with it? Why can't they just handle it the way I'm handling it? And you're so, you got so much pressure back here because it's been in your mind since this morning, since the drive to school, that you get so, under so much pressure, you start popping on people, angry at your parents, angry at your friends. And so maybe you've got lust handled, but two other anger, impatience, disrespect, other, you've, you've clawed off one scale, but another one's just grown in its place, right? And this is the way it works. You have to let Jesus do it. Jesus has come to bring you back to the garden. You become less of a monster when Jesus comes into your life. Less lustful, less angry, less self-centered, less worried about image. You start looking less and less like a machine and more and more like the image of God. Jesus has come to turn you back into a prince because of his grace. He wants to fix you. You were created in his image and he wants to bring that back. So he became ugly instead on the cross. On the cross, he became ugly and horribly misshapen by sin, so that we could be reformed by grace. On the cross, he let sin deform him, so that grace could shape us. The gospel is Jesus coming back to you, chasing you down, peeling your scales off, so you can be in his image again. Putting your crown back on your head, so that you can be in his royal family again. Because of Adam, you will always fail in your Eden. But through Jesus, you can bring life to your Eden. You can bring life into your family. You can bring life into your relationships. Because Jesus brings life into your own heart by His grace. Let's pray together.